Sick of the fatigue and fog, fed up with the unpredictable flares, hangry from the super restrictive diets. Hello, and welcome to the Crunchy Allergist Podcast, a podcast empowering those who, like me, appreciate both a naturally minded and scientifically grounded approach to health and healing. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Kara Wada, quadruple board certified pediatric and adult allergy immunology and lifestyle medicine physician, Sjogren's patient and life coach. My recipe for success combines anti-inflammatory lifestyle, trusting therapeutic relationships, modern medicine, and mindset to harness our body's ability to heal. Now, although I might be a physician, I'm not your physician, and this podcast is for educational purposes only. Welcome back to everyone who is joining us again on this episode of the Crunchy Allergist Podcast, and a super big welcome to anyone who's just joining us for the first time. We are always excited to talk about all things allergy, immunology, and anti-inflammatory living, and today we're going to focus a lot on this area of anti-inflammatory living, one of the supplements or food-based products I've incorporated into my routine are medicinal mushrooms. And we are really excited and honored to welcome a special guest today, Jeff Chilton, who's president of Namex. He is a Pacific Northwest native and has studied extensively in the field of ethnomycology. He's going to talk to us about what that means, but did his training at the University of Washington and really has had decades of experience in understanding mushroom cultivation, the safety, the things to watch out for. What are we looking for in these products? Why are they helpful? Why should we consider them? and why it's really important to look for certified organic mushroom extracts in your supplements. Namex is a company that supplies those extracts to many supplement companies. I am so excited to welcome Jeff to the Crunchy Allergist podcast today and dive into all things mushrooms. <laughs> Dr. Wada, thank you so much for having me on. It's really great to be here with you. I would love if you could share a little bit more about how you ended up where you are today. Having grown up in Seattle, Pacific Northwest, Washington's the evergreen state. Why is that? It rains a lot. <laughs> we have extensive forests of conifer trees. That also means is that we are one of the best places in the world for wild mushrooms. So I had mushrooms around me as I was growing up. And when I went to university, my field of study was actually anthropology, but I also took courses in mycology, which is the study of fungi. I put the two together and then looked at the use of mushrooms by cultures worldwide for food, for medicine, and in a shamanic use. Mm -hmm. But then when you graduate, what do you do with a degree in anthropology? <laughs> you don't, these days there are practicing anthropologists, but it was like social anthropology too. It wasn't like physical anthropology. So at any rate, I thought it would be great to learn how to grow mushrooms. I went to the only mushroom farm in Washington state. I applied for a job. I got a job. I was there for the next 10 years, oh literally living with mushrooms. It was just incredible. That's super fun and has me remembering back to really 
really fun memories with my family. My dad loves, so I grew up in the the not Chicago part of Illinois, a little more rural area. And so the wild mushrooms that we would always go foraging for were the morels. Morels, of course. Super fun (laughs) memories, like hanging out with my dad and And even my husband's family, they would go out to Wyoming where his uncle lived and they would go looking for, I believe it was Mayatakis or... Belitis? Was it a Belitis? They're very expensive Japanese mushrooms that only... Oh, the Matsutake? Yes, Matsutake. Thank you. I knew I was coming (laughs) up with the wrong um, mushroom that starts with an M, but... And so it is interesting to think about how really they are so prevalent in all areas of the globe. Yeah. And let me just tell you a little bit about mushrooms and their food value, because when I went to the mushroom farm in 1973, classical Western nutritionists said mushrooms are really tasty. They're an interesting food, (laughs) but they have no food value. What? The reason they said that they're low in calories. So no calories, no food value. The fact of the matter is that mushrooms have a reasonable amount of protein, 20 to 40%. They're mostly carbohydrate, but slow acting carbohydrates like mannitol and trehalose, they do not have starch. These carbohydrates also are a lot of fiber, which feed our microbiome. So we've got slow acting carbohydrates, reasonable amount of protein, low in fat. We have phosphorus, potassium in reasonable amounts, and we have B vitamins, B1, 2, and 3. In some cases, as much as for 100 grams of fresh mushrooms, you'll get 25% of your B3. So it's a really super nutritious food. I call it the forgotten food, the missing dietary link. People need to put mushrooms into their diet. It's a fabulous food. I am thinking of a new tagline. The sexy food to talk about our food group have been fermented foods lately, but maybe we need to say fermented and fungi. You know what? It's interesting. Are you familiar with the food tempeh? Yes. Yes. Tempeh is a fermented food. It is fungal mycelium that ferments Mm -hmm. those soybeans. So when you are eating, let me just start by by just talking about what is a mushroom. (laughs) Now, as a mushroom grower, first of all, how do I grow mushrooms? Well, you need seeds. Mushrooms don't have seeds. How do you grow these things? They have spores. These spores fly out in nature, onto the ground, into wood. When conditions are right, those spores will germinate they'll germinate into a very fine filament called a hypha. And when these hypha fuse together, they will form a network. That network is called mycelium. That mycelium is what we call the thallus or the vegetative body. That's the body of it. And you know how it's like when you see a mushroom come in and go, where did that come from? It's not like an apple on a tree, right? (laughs) Like there's the tree. No, in this case, that mycelium, which acts somewhat like a root structure, it's underground or buried in its substrate, which may be the wood. So we rarely will see it. But when conditions are right in the Northwest, that's the fall, temperatures drop, humidity goes up mushrooms need high humidity to grow. They need moist conditions. 
up comes this mushroom. And over the next two weeks, it'll go from just a very tiny little, what we call a little pinhead, and it'll grow through the stages to a button. And then it'll get into the normal mushroom shape, the stem, the cap. Under the cap are gills. Mm -hmm. On those gills are where the spores are produced. It lets the spores go. So now this, we have a completion of the life cycle. And what's important here is that there are three primary parts to this organism that we call a mushroom. Spore, mycelium, and a mushroom. And that's very important because when you go to look for a supplement, you want to make sure that you're getting the proper plant part. So when you're looking for ginseng, you want a root. When you're looking for echinacea, you want the flowers, ginkgo, the leaves. This is really important. And every supplement you buy should and is required to tell you what plant part is in this bottle. What are you actually buying? So with this thing we call a mushroom, spore, mycelium, and mushroom. And it is traditional that it is the mushroom that has the majority of the medicinal compounds. And that's really what we focus on in terms of supplements. But look, this mushroom is an awesome food. It goes with everything. You can put it in your omelets. You can put it in your stir fries. You can just cook it up and eat it with meat if you're a meat eater. It's very versatile. You have to cook it right. <laughs> cook it on a high heat. If you cook it on a low heat, all the water will come right out of it. They'll be sitting in a pool of water and then your kids will be complaining, ah, oh, those slimy mushrooms, I hate them. <laughs> so cook it properly. And they really are a fun substitute for meat. You mentioned tempeh, but we have experimented a lot more in the last several years, even especially oyster mushrooms of being able to create things that it's not quite chicken. It's not quite, but it certainly has the mouthfeel. You can get the taste and the flavor to have that umami or that rich meaty type flavor. And it's really satisfying. Oh yeah. And today, if you're in the right area in your local natural foods markets, anyway, you will have access to maybe six different species of mushrooms. Now, sometimes you maybe only have one or two, but in most places now you'll have multiple species. In the 70s, when I started the mushroom farm, there was only one species out there, which is what we grew, which were the agaricus mushroom or what they call the button mushroom. But what was really so cool is we had a Japanese scientist working for us and he was experimenting with shiitake, oyster mushroom, and enoki taki. Um. So during that period, I was able to see how these other mushrooms grew as well. For me, that was just a fabulous extra part of my experience there at this mushroom farm. You've had a lot of experience in traveling overseas as well to understand how mushrooms factor into other cultures and their nutrition as well. Oh, yeah. And here's what's really interesting is that <clears throat> mushrooms are actually expensive to grow. If you go into the market and even the button mushrooms at time, you go, oh, gee, that's $5 a pound or something. But that is fresh weight. So $5 a pound. But yeah. if you want to use that for a supplement, it's got to be dried out. Supplements are dried powders. So now that's $50 that the grower has to get for that same pound of mushrooms. Issue becomes that 
you cannot grow mushrooms in the United States and put them into the supplement market. So no supplements that are grown, if it says grown in the United States, it's not a mushroom. Being involved in commercial mushroom production, I knew that. So in 1989, I went to a International Society for Mushroom Science meeting convention in China. That was my first trip to China. And this is an organization that I was a part of from the very beginning. You're thinking, International Society for Mushroom Science. <laughs> There's a group for everything, right? Yes, indeed. It's wonderful. Yeah. And the amazing part of it was that in China, they had maybe a dozen different research stations. They had tens of thousands of mushroom growers. These mushroom growers were growing the mushrooms in a very natural way. They had processors. I went to conferences. So all through the 90s, I traveled through China. I made a lot of contacts there. And that's where we grow and produce our products. In 1997, I went to China with OCIA, which is the premier organic certification company in the US. 1997, I took them to China with me and we had the first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China, 1997. All of our products are certified organic by high quality German certifiers. I don't know about you, but I totally believe in certified organic products because I don't care where you are in the world. There's so many chemicals being poured on our food and we have no idea ultimately, or we have some idea, but ultimately the effects of those down the line, boy, if I can get away from those chemicals in some way, I'm happy to play, pay the extra money. Can you explain a little bit about what that entails? Like what it means for your mushrooms to be organic? How would that differ from like a conventionally grown mushroom? And this is really interesting because when I started at the mushroom farm in 1973, we had a program from Penn State University that's the single uh, university in the United States that has a mushroom research station. Oh, and cool. it told us what chemical to put on the crop at what time. We used pesticides, we used fungicides, we used other chemicals on the wood that our substrates were in and our mushrooms were growing out of. It was a very chemical laden industry. Not so much anymore, but for organic certification, for example, with mushrooms, A, what are you growing them on? Okay. Where does it come from? Does that have any pesticide or chemical re residues? Most of our mushrooms, in fact, the vast majority of them, all of them, but one are grown on sawdust or a wood log. In China, what happens is like a lot of places like Europe, you ever been to Europe and you see a forest and you go, oh, wow, that's beautiful. And then you go, huh, those trees are in rows. What's going on? The same in China. They have tree plantations. They can harvest the trees at a certain point and a certain amount of those will go to producing mushrooms. Reishi mushroom uses an actual small wood log. The rest of our mushrooms are grown on sawdust. We'll basically grow the mycelium out on sawdust. And again, you have to be growing in an area where there's not drift, chemical drift, things like that. Most of the mushroom, when they're grown on sawdust, they're grown inside 
a bag, an autoclavable bag that when they're sterilized, inoculated, put onto shelves, and then the mushrooms will grow from these bags on shelves in greenhouses and shade houses under very natural conditions of fresh air, light. Do you know the mushrooms actually need light to grow? <laughs> a lot That's of people what I was think going to ask because it has been some time since I completed my undergrad studies in biology. Fungi are in this, this in between in their own realm of not quite plant, not quite animal. So I was going to have you remind me what the ingredients were, remind all of us what the ingredients were to make mushroom. We have again, and you're right, fungi have their own kingdom in between plants and animals. But again, what they need is they need some kind of cellulose. That's what they're feeding on. Mycelium that I was speaking about, what it does, its purpose in nature is to break down organic matter. It does that along with bacteria, bugs, <laughs> anything that you know is in the soil, other fungi. It's out there breaking down all that organic matter that builds up every year. You can imagine all of the annual plants that come up and die, all of the wood that comes off of tree, leaves, you name it, all of that organic matter, that's what this fungal mycelium will break down. The beauty of mushroom growing is that it always looks for an agricultural waste product. For example, a lot of people think, oh yeah, that button mushroom, it grows on some kind of manure or something. Not true. <laughs> what it actually grows on is straw. Cool. Composted straw. Basically, and the composting process is a process of microbes breaking down organic matter. It's really a cool process, but straw, it's looking for some kind of lignocellulosic material, which then it can break down. And that's what we're using sawdust. Again, we grow in conditions in shade houses. When I was growing mushrooms and what happens in North America, they grow in big warehouses or sheds. Have you ever seen or been to a mushroom farm? I have not. I've just been out in the forest with the turkeys and the deer and in <laughs> nondescript Northern Illinois. Yeah. And we've all seen fields full of vegetables or corn or wheat yes, or something like lots that. Lots of corn and soybeans here. <laughs> mushrooms primarily have grown in some kind of, whether it's a greenhouse or indoor environment, just because they need to control the humidity. They need to control sense. the temperature. Now, the beauty of growing them in China is that they grow them according to the season. As the temperature, for example, the reishi mushroom likes hot temperatures. So it's growing during the summer. And then in September, it gets harvested. The shiitake and the maitake, they like cooler temperatures. So it's growing right up until, let's just say, November. It's harvested in November when temperatures are cooler. So it's a very natural environment that we grow our mushrooms in. Here's an interesting fact. China today grows over 85% of the world's mushrooms. Can you imagine over 85% of the world's mushrooms come out of China. And what we do is we harvest our mushrooms. We take them off to a facility that extracts them, turns them into a powder, 
all of this is organically certified. And ultimately for supplement use, you will want to have it in some form, a dried powder that can be encapsulated or put into a smoothie or something like that. So that's what we do. And again, before. <laughs> I'm drinking before, a matcha latte with Rishi and my clients. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. for anyone who's listening, as opposed to watching, that's what I was Yeah. Saying. And look, before anything leaves China, before anything leaves China, we test it for heavy metals. We test it for pesticide, fungicides. We also will test it a complete microbiological panel. There's E. coli, salmonella, those kind of things. When it arrives in the U.S., we'll do the same thing. We'll test it again. We'll get tested two times. And look, we've talked a little bit about the supplement industry. And a lot of people think, oh, the supplement industry is not regulated at all. It is highly regulated However, <laughs> you can still have something that's organic, that's mm -hmm. kosher, that's used in CGMP, which is good manufacturing facility, and has all of those different, what I call merit badges. It can still be a lousy, ineffective product. In the mushroom supplement category, there's a lot of products that are manufactured with the mycelial stage. The way they do this is that they will sterilize grain, much like we were talking about tempeh, right? Where you're mm -hmm. taking a grain and growing mycelium. They'll sterilize grain and they'll grow the mycelium on it. It covers the grain. Then they will take that grain out. They will dry it, grind it to a powder, grain and all, and they will sell it as a supplement and call it mushroom when there's no mushrooms in it at all. It's got a small amount of that mycelium stage, but mostly starch from those grains. And what we're really looking for and what makes mushrooms medicinal and why they're a functional food is they have compounds in their cell walls called beta-glucans. These beta-glucans are what give them this immunological potentiation. That's why they are a fantastic supplement. Now, when you test these other products, what you find out is they have next to no beta-glucans and mostly what we call alpha-glucans, which mm -hmm. are starches, a mushroom, is high in beta-glucan and very low in alpha. What's interesting about mushrooms is that their storage carbohydrate is glycogen, like humans. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. But that amount, that alpha-glucan, that glycogen in a mushroom is very low. Mostly what you're getting with that mushroom is the beta-glucan. That's what you're looking for. If you go looking for a supplement, make sure it doesn't say made in the United States that automatically it's going to be this myceliated grain. Look to see whether it will tell you the amount of beta-glucan in the product. That's very important. If it says high in polysaccharides, yes, a beta-glucan is a polysaccharide, but so is starch. Yep, it just means polysaccharide, lots of sugars. That's right. Together. That's right. Say what kind. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So you have to be very careful when you're purchasing that mushroom supplement, because when you look at the bottle, it'll be a picture of a mushroom. It'll say, oh, lion's mane mushroom or reishi mushroom. Mm -hmm. And then you turn it over. 
some companies might say mycelium, some companies in the other, the fine print might say myceliated rice or oats or something like this. A lot of companies will not, and they'll just say mushroom. So again, be very careful. Those are the signs to look for. And you really want something that is 100% mushroom. That's what traditional Chinese medicine has been using from the beginning. That's what's got the majority of the functional or medicinal compounds in it. That's what makes these mushrooms medicinal. Can you talk to a little bit more about what do we know about medicinal mushrooms and what benefits they have been shown to have on our health? Sure. What's really interesting is I've got a book. From Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you, you oh, some good reading. books anymore? Yes. Oh no. <laughs> the pandemic has had a lot of its downsides, but one of the bright sides is my kids. I have two young kids, three now, but two that live and sleep in our room. So I got a Kindle and then watching TV before bed, I'm reading for a good half hour, an hour at night. So it's been really great. So yeah. Yes. And I get it too. And essentially these, the beneficial pounds in these mushrooms, and they'll start with the beta glucans and what the beta glucans do. We actually have receptors in our lower intestines for beta glucans which is really interesting. Some people speculate that's because fungi can be pathogens. So it recognizes the pathogen and then it activates the immune cells. Let's start producing macrophages, mm -hmm. T cells, NK cells, things like that. This is what they'll do. You have to remember these are working in the back. Some people think, oh, I'm going to take a aspirin and my headache's going to be gone a couple hours. That's going to be the same with a supplement. No, it's like a vitamin. You take a vitamin D or C, you don't go the next day, oh, you know what? I just took that uh, vitamin C, my cold is gone now. <laughs> it's not how it works. Why do we take these? We take them for prevention. That is so important, whether it's a diet or supplementation. And, and that's where too, I totally believe in the idea of food as medicine and not medicine in the sense of a pill or something. No, something that is providing these benefits to your organism. I'm not talking about food in those middle aisles, processed foods, I'm not talking about real food, real vegetables, food that is properly grown with these mushrooms. Every one of them will have these immunological benefits. Some of them will have other benefits like lion's mane. There are some interesting clinical trials that do show lion's mane will enhance cognition. One of the ones that gets mentioned a lot is a clinical trial in Japan, 30 people taking lion's mane, three grams a day, and 30 people in a control group. They took a battery of tests. Then they started the program. 120 days later, they tested them again. The people taking the lion's mane did much better on the tests. Now, what was interesting about this was they stopped taking it. They tested them again 30 days later. They dropped down to baseline. <laughs> so you're kind of like, that, that's interesting. And they've had a few other trials too. Now, I don't make claims for mushrooms. I really don't because there is so much data. Trials are hard to come by. So yeah. much of the data is either in vitro or in vivo. In vitro work is interesting, but I don't put a lot of stock in in vitro testing because it can show 
all sorts of things that can throw you off. There's a lot of things that stimulate the production of cytokines. Lots of yes, things. That, yes. So that kind of testing to me is that. It's a nice first step, but. Yes, yes, exactly. And they've got some good animal testing that they've done to show benefits. A lot of animal testing is uh, anti-tumor studies, things like that. And they've shown some really good ones. That's the beauty of the beta-glucan research is there are volumes. There are probably a thousand plus papers of researchers that have been looking into beta-glucan since the 1970s, when they're really starting up research to look at, at immunological potentiation from natural products. And is there other, any other way that we can get our immune system to kick in and help us out? So that's been going on for quite a while. The interesting thing about lion's mane is it has compounds that stimulate what's called nerve growth factor. Nerve growth factor is something we produce, and it will help to stimulate neurite outgrowth, as well as help with the basic organization of neurons. As we age, we produce less of it. What they've shown is lion's mane does tend to stimulate the production of this. So that's one of the possible ways that lion's mane is working with cognition. Another interesting mushroom is cordyceps. Cordyceps was used in China, the wildcrafted cordyceps for neurasthenia, which is just general fatigue and tiredness. You can't get out of that illness. You're getting better, but you just can't get over the final hump. <laughs> exactly. You need a little push. That's right. Cordyceps is going to push you over. That's what they used it for primarily. Uh, also, it seems to help with high altitude life. There's has some benefits there for oxygenation. Cordyceps now, of course, that's where athletes and that sort of category, that's where cordyceps gets pushed or placed by companies that produce it. Other mushrooms, we talked a little bit about, we haven't talked about reishi. If there's one mushroom that you want to take, it would be reishi. We measure the beta-glucan content of every single batch of extract that we made. Reishi mushroom has the highest beta-glucans of all of the mushrooms. And they're anywhere from 25 to 60% in the different species, but reishi is consistently over 50%. The only other mushroom that reaches that high is the turkey tail. So those two mushrooms, high in beta-glucans, reishi has these other compounds called triterpenoids. And if you've ever had reishi before, like just straight reishi of some sort, man, is it ever bitter. It is That's what really I was going to ask, bitter. because we don't see things like <laughs> in the supermarket. No, reishi, of course, is a very woody mushroom. So when it's consumed, like traditionally, it will be in a tea. Okay. Now, now, tea is something that's been used in herbal medicine for a long time what? in the sense yeah. of it's simply a tea is a water extract. It's just like you think, what's an extract? Have you ever made a soup? <laughs> a soup yeah. is a water extract. So this has been a very standard way traditionally in the West and the East to pull everything out. There's this whole thing about chicken soup, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's something where it's easy on the system. There's no real heavy digestion that has to go on, but you're getting all those benefits from the compounds that are in there. Now, reishi has the triterpenoids. They have proven to be very good for the liver. So with reishi, you're getting two different major benefits. That's why I normally say 
if there's one mushroom that you're interested in, or you think you'd like to try a supplement, try reishi. But again, what I always tell people before you supplement, put them into your diet. That is so important. What I'm curious what your favorite recipe is or your favorite way of eating mushrooms in terms of cooking mushrooms yeah i am a meat eater i I like my whatever it has to be in fact i really love seafood i'm pacific northwest seafood so my favorite food in the world is salmon and i eat salmon three or four times a week when i cook it up i'll make sure there's plenty left over the next day i'll have salmon sandwiches it's a fabulous food salmon is but basically with the mushrooms i'll cook some up just individually to have on let's just say some kind of beef or something like that or i'll chop them up and with onions and i'll work them into a ground beef for a hamburger yes or in fact i love making stir fries i love chopping up a million and one vegetables and throwing them into a wok and walking them up and of course i'm going to put mushrooms into that as well. Those are my primary ways that I eat them. And I'll eat mushrooms uh, probably four to five nights a week. I'll have some kind of mushroom into whatever it is I'm cooking. There's just so many ways and so many possibilities there. Isn't it funny that now there's actually mushroom burgers where it's actually just a huge mushroom cap and maybe they put it between a couple of pieces of lettuce or something like that it's just so cool and so versatile i think we've come a long way since the 70s absolutely i think back was born in the mid 80s and grew up in a very like you know mom would make meatloaf mashed potatoes sure me too yeah meals but she would make these we called them mock fillets so it was like a cheaper version of filet mignon but she would chop up some onion and some mushrooms and mix it with ground beef and make it like a little filet with a piece of bacon around it. <laughs> but how things have changed now with my kiddos, they'll love like, they love ramen. So they love with the little enoki mushrooms and the soup. Oh, nice. Or we've done the burgers, the portobello burgers and the stir fry. Certainly if, if I can get some good, nice mix of different varieties of using up whatever veggies are in the fridge and making a simple stir fry sauce and dinner's ready as long as it takes to make the rice, which is Yeah, that's absolutely right. One of the things that's going on right now, which I'm a little bit concerned about is is the whole faux meat, the fake meat or or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. It gets Uh, me little. A lot of it, they're talking, okay, there's mycelium involved in it. I'm thinking, okay, if it's done, if you have mycelium grown on, let's say tempeh, where it's grown on some kind of grains or whatever, if you eat grains, And a lot of people don't, but still, if it's grown on something like that, I'm like, fine. But what they're talking about in general is something that is very highly processed. A lot of it is not fungal based at all, but it is processed. And I'm like, that is the worst thing I can imagine. You can get good, wholesome meat done properly in the right way. You don't have to eat a lot of it. You can keep it in your diet in some way, or if you don't want it in your diet, don't eat it. But don't think that this faux meat is going to be somehow better. It's not. The vast majority of it got the list of ingredients. You're just like, oh, no. So people really need to understand that and not get 
fooled by thinking they're doing or eating something that is better than the actual thing. Yes. If you're out and having a fun splurgy meal and that's what you choose, so be it. But also walking in and realizing fully with eyes wide open, that may not be the most nutritious option on the menu. Yes, indeed. Again, tempeh, great food. The way it's made is it doesn't have a lot of ingredients, just soy and this fungal mycelium, a lot of this other stuff that they're making from, I just was looking at something like that today. They're making fake bake bacon and they're, <laughs> what's so funny about it is they make it all look like bacon. <laughs> and if you're a meat eater and you don't, or you're not a meat eater, you're like, no, is that what you want? You want something that looks like bacon? The funny thing is they don't tell you exactly, but somewhere in there, they said, okay, we start out, we grow this mycelium on sawdust. And I was like, wait a minute, really? Are you, anyway, it's, you just have to be careful. Let's face it. You have to read labels. You have to know what you're doing. You have to be a very conscious person checking out whatever food it is you eat, because these days there's so many different, whether it be just additives or chemicals or what have you. Yes. That's something that we have talked about, I think, within the crunchy allergist community and things I've talked about a lot, especially in regards to personal care products, the personal care product industry in the U.S. especially, a little less so up in Canada where you are, that it's a little better regulated, but there, it really is a buyer beware. I think just being able to have these conversations, know what to look out for, to have some increased awareness and understanding of how something comes from where it's grown to where you're ingesting it can be really helpful and really eye-opening. Oh, absolutely. It's really important. I like it. It's a farm to table in a way. The, exactly. the closer you can get to the farm, the better. That's why I love farmer's markets. You're talking to the producer most of these producers are not using chemicals on. They can't afford to. <laughs> They're not making a lot of money. If you go to a farmer's market and somebody there is selling specialty mushrooms like shiitake and oyster mushrooms, I can assure you that this person or his mate or her mate has a secondary job. And the person that's doing this is probably making about two or $3 an hour. <laughs> it's, you just, it's expensive. It's time consuming. Every single mushroom you've ever eaten has been picked by hand. There's no mechanical harvesting. It's picked by hand. It's been touched by a human putting it into that box. That's amazing to think about. We don't see as much, I think, of that availability, at least from what I've seen in the Midwest, but we were visiting my in-laws in Los Angeles area a couple months ago and went to their local farmer's market, which as you can imagine, Los oh. Angeles area is phenomenal. Oh. Although I will say the Columbus area has considerable diversity, I think, compared to what folks would probably maybe initially think, or at least what I initially thought before we moved here. But certainly in, in Southern California, that's magnified even more. Oh. And there were several tables of yes. folks who specialized in mushrooms and was daydreaming for a little bit, like, goodness, how fun would it be? to be able to come to a market like this and do our shopping every week. And then we saw that gas at the time was like almost $6 <laughs> a gallon. <laughs> We're like, okay, we'll go back. It's really cool. I just spent the last five months down in Tasmania 
living in the capital there called Hobart. Hobart, that's where my girlfriend lives, where I had to come back to Canada to do a few things. But every Sunday, they had a farmer's market right in the downtown. It was uh, basically a 15-minute walk. We would go down there every single... They had a baker, they had a butcher, they had everything. Somebody who's got, had their potatoes, apples, the apple growers were all there. It was spectacular. It was just wonderful to be there with the people producing the food. Sure, we had another very nice natural market where we could get things that they didn't have at this market, but being able to go there, here's the person producing the apples. They've got 10 different varieties to choose from, and they're the ones that grew them. Yes, just this past weekend. So it's getting close to apple season here. Or it is apple season here in the Midwest. Last weekend, we took our at least once a year. Hopefully we'll get back more than once. It's about 45 minute hour drive to our favorite orchard and able to get peaches, like two different varieties. They only had two varieties of apples ready, but you see all the rows of the different kinds. It's this really fun adventure to get curious and try things that maybe are new to your taste buds. And I think this is a fun encouragement maybe for folks to take that spirit of things and think about it with mushrooms. Yes, absolutely. Give them a try. Try some of the enoki talkie. Have you had enoki? You've had enoki, right? Yes, yes. They're so cute. My kids fight over the who can get the tiniest ones. They love. They're like, oh, the baby mushrooms. Can I, Charlotte? I want that one. Oh, Josie, no, I want that little baby one. That's my favorite. Yeah, (laughs) they've got such a great texture. They're really crunchy, and it's so amazing when you get the package of them. There's a thousand of them in there with this super. It almost reminds me of the chia pets. Those maybe who trying to get a visual. Essentially, it's all these little tiny mushrooms on stalks growing out of hair. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Tiny caps, very long, thousand of them in a small package. Mm-hmm. And the hardest thing of all is just separating them when you want. And from a taste standpoint, not, they don't have a very pungent taste. Not they strong. Whatever no. you are incorporating them with. I think if you're only familiar with maybe a button mushroom up until this point, that would probably be a fun option to give a try. Absolutely would be. Yeah. It's a, just a mild taste. The texture is really fun and they're beautiful to look at. Yeah. If someone are wanting to learn more about mushrooms, wanting to learn more from you, where should they turn? My company is Namex, N-A-M-M-E-X.com. On our website, we have a menu that says education and we've got slideshows on how we grow our mushrooms, how we process them. Plus we have loads of information about mushrooms there. So please come and check that out. The other site that we have is called realmushrooms.com. That's a retail site for our products because Namex is primarily a wholesaler to other companies. But on the real mushroom sites, they also have so much great information about mushrooms and very species specific and talk in in greater detail than we do on the Namex site. So either of those two sites come and check out all the information we have because you can learn a lot for sure. And the slideshows are fantastic. 
I am super excited. I try to every couple years update. I have a presentation I give our fellows in training on natural ways to treat allergies, immune system conditions. I'm excited to dig into all that information to update that talk for later this year. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Uh, Any parting words or thoughts you'd love to share with our community? I guess what I would say is I do truly believe that mushrooms are the missing link in our diets. And I really encourage people to try mushrooms. When you do, just start out, have a few to start with. Make sure it agrees with you because everybody's got a 5% or just like morels, right? I mean, there are 5% of people that that morels just don't work with their stomach and they have a issue with them. So lots of foods are like that. So just try a little bit. If you like the flavor and if it agrees with you, great. And try another species, just uh, put them into your diet. There are studies, Dr. Wada, there are studies that they've done where they have surveyed very large populations on diet. And this is out in Asia. And they have found people who eat mushrooms live longer in these studies. I totally believe that. That is super cool. I would love, if you happen to have them handy, would love to dig in and just, I'm always excited to keep learning. I think that's my missions on life. Just keep uh, me from the fire hose. Yes. I've got some great articles that I'll send you for sure. Super cool. We'll work on getting those links and the links to your information, certainly in the show notes and so excited for you to join us today, Jeff. And I learned so much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed talking to you. If you have found this information helpful and empowering, I would strongly encourage you to hop over to www.crunchyallergist.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we dive into all things allergy, autoimmunity, and anti-inflammatory living. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I look forward to talking again next week.